0: Hello, welcome to Episodes. My name is Jimmy Bowens. I'm the head of English here at EP and this is part three in the Irini and Jimmy Loving Literature series. Thank you for joining us and hello Irini, welcome back.
1: Hello, thank you. Are
0: you as excited as I am to be the third stop in our journey through our lives of literature.
1: I am very excited to hear how your dark gothic history of text concludes. And I suppose concludes is not the right word. It's uh, just the next chapter in that and, uh, journey for yes. you. So yeah, I'm very excited. I am
0: excited to hear more about how this young Australian Greek, Greek-Australian <laughs> rebel <laughs> started to emerge. Mm, yep. So yeah. Um, yeah, we'll crack on. If you're if you're new to this podcast, um, Episodes is a wide-ranging podcast. We talk all things ed tech and education. Um, this is a special little series, uh, the type of thing we do now and again. And yeah, enjoy. Uh, please do go back and listen to the earlier ones if you can, and you'll get a, a better context. But today we're going to talk about growing up with literature. And um, we're at the stage now where both of us studied literature in university, and so we're going to talk about a text that really gripped us as academics of literature. So let's hear it. And, and I'm sure there's, there's a lot we could talk about, yeah, but we've definitely. narrowed it down to one, one text for this. And then we're going we're gonna to talk about texts we read again as an adult that we had read as a child. Mm-hmm. That'll be the, the second half of this show. But let's start with university, set the scene. <laughs> what is the text you encountered, and why did it have such an impact on you?
1: I was lucky enough to take a unit on Shakespeare at university, and I was a huge Shakespeare nerd in uh, high school. Absolutely loved it. I found this unit um, as it wasn't a compulsory unit, but but it was an English arts unit that that I picked and the very first uh, lecture was our, you know, professor um, putting a photo up of himself at the Globe (laughs) Theatre in London on the giant screen. And I I think every, you know, every girl in the room just fainted a little bit because (laughs) it was so amazing. And during that unit, we studied a play called Titus Andronicus, which- I've never come across before. And yes. so my experience with Shakespeare had been, you know, very the quintessential high school experience of Romeo and Juliet, Midsummer Night's Dream, Macbeth. Uh, and we also studied um, King Richard. So when Titus Andronicus was sort of placed um, in into the the course material and I read it for the first time, I was – I, I was like grossly astounded because it was all of the parts of all the plays that I had read amplified, and it was the gore of Macbeth. Um, Ooh, and yeah,
0: there's some heavy stuff. It, it in is. That play. It's
1: incredibly heavy. Um, I think the the statistic was it has the most most deaths per act of any Shakespeare play. Yeah, and uh, it just so happened that at the time. Um, uh, one of the Shakespeare companies was putting on a performance of it at the opera house, and I decided to take my mum to see it. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was she'd never watched Shakespeare before, but she agreed to come with me, and I will never forget this interpretation of was the, it. A modern interpretation? It was a modern interpretation, oh, wow. and the stage was set with this giant laundry bucket of fake blood, and every time a character was killed, they took. um, hardback books and ripped them up and dunked them into this fake blood and then threw them at what was originally a completely white wall but had then ended up with all of these pages that were stuck and were sliding down and it was a total mess and um for me just the ability to to study a play in you know in such depth um but then to have that kind of visceral experience of watching it as well it just it it completely changed what Shakespeare was about for me. So I it just made me obviously love the play the plays that he writes even more. But it, it it was the edge. It was the edge that I think set me on a new path of appreciation for Shakespeare. Now um
0: famously in that play there is cannibalism. Yes. Um the pie. But, and I know I know some of my favorite parts of it because one of the one of the things I have said um, about Titus Adronicus before is that it, it's the Quentin Tarantino of, of, uh, of Shakespeare plays. However, do you have a favorite part or quote that you you would like to share, or um, are, are any or any any scene that stands out to you?
1: It's it has to be the pie scene. The pie, yeah. It's it's just that um, completely authentic dramatic irony in that scene. You you can't possibly set up a moment where dramatic irony is better kind of represented than in that scene. Uh and I've I've seen it I've seen Titus performed twice, once by an amateur theatre company and once by Professional Shakespeare, the company that I had mentioned with a modern twist. And both times it's the exact same uh it's the same feeling. <laughs> the edge of sort of titillation and dread <laughs> at yeah.
0: the same time.
1: So yeah. Um, for me, for me, it's that scene always.
0: I mean, it's messed up. It is messed
1: up, but in such a Shakespearean, just a brilliant Shakespearean way.
0: Yeah. I've never taught Titus actually.
1: I don't think you can. You couldn't possibly teach it for high school students. It's It's too, it's too mature. But
0: I would love to, um, I'd love to see a movie.
1: There is a film. Is there? There is a film. Uh, it's very. You're joking me. No, there is a film. We we watched some parts of it um, as part of the course. Very very dark. I think I would. I think I prefer watching the play rather than yeah. seeing the film. Yeah. Because there's an intimacy in watching a film, especially when you're on your own and the context yeah. of where and, and how you're watching it. Whereas in the theatre, having that fourth wall, there are moments where you you are aware that you're in a space with other people and it's yeah. make-believe but yeah there is something a little bit more unsettling I think about watching those events happen in a, yeah. in a film
0: and realizing what's going what's going what's unfolding here definitely
1: that's a good one you'll have to put Ooh. that film on your list of dark that's <laughs> such dark, a good one yeah
0: to that's a good one Titus Adronicus William Shakespeare
1: well lighten it up for us
0: oh this is not going to lighten it up at <laughs> all well in a way it will I had a very profound experience with this book. You know, sometimes you read a book and you you really think the author is talking to you. You know, yes, it's, you, it's aligned with your phase of life yep. or whatever. Yep. This is a, a story of that because this book just it it landed in my life at the exact time I needed it to to be in my life. I'll set the scene for you, please. When I studied my arts degree, I went to Maynooth University in County Kildare mm. in Ireland and I um, had to read Joyce. Mm. And so on the weekends, I would often get the bus back to Galway, the West Coast, which is a few hours on the bus. And I would, I would take that time to read this novel, which was Portrait of an Artist as mm. a Young Man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I have this really strong memory of being on that bus and the whole world melting away because that book and Joyce is hard, you know, Yeah. but that would be his most, I think one of his most accessible, um, texts portrait is just so personal and it's a very profound story about someone who is trying to find their calling, trying to figure out what, what their direction in life is. That character it just goes through so many different things that are representative of of Irish history and uh, Irish society and culture dealing with catholicism in the way it was at that time and the impacts that had dealing with the expectations he had on himself as a as a young student and it goes into all of these areas of ideology and philosophy but there's one part um that I'll never forget. And there's a part in the story where Stephen Dedalus he's realized that he's an artist, that he has, his calling is to just express himself freely. Now, this is his moment where he just chooses the path of the artist. Hence, you know, the name. Um, But the scene is where he's walking along a beach and he sees a, um, a young girl in the tide. And, starts to realize how beautiful it is. And, and um, at the same time, I was in this course I was doing, we were learning about the aesthetics, the philosophy of aesthetics,
1: mm. which
0: is an incredible
1: yeah, subject. Amazing.
0: If you ever, why, why humans find certain things beautiful. So I was studying that at the same time and reading this book. And there's just this, um, this one scene where he, he's at the beach and he just looks at this girl waiting in the water and he starts to notice her clothes and the light and the, the she's got this basket and the, the the weave of the basket. And he has a, a epiphany and he just realizes I can't prevent myself from being an artist. You know, I just, <laughs> I have to go with <laughs> That's it. Powerful. This, yeah. And he falls asleep on the beach that night. It's like a metamorphosis, mm. but I I was on the bus reading that, seen. And I remember putting the book on my lap and just thinking, this is exactly what I need to hear right Mm. now. You know, uh, just recognizing that you may be a type of person um, that has a certain appreciation for something and it could be anything, but in this case, it's um, it's an artistic Mm. inclination.
1: Being heard by a text, being seen by a text. Yeah. Having that moment of of acknowledgement and
0: validation,
1: validation, definitely.
0: And it was from that point, then I just threw myself into all of the literature that I, that mm-hmm. I had to study. So yeah, James Joyce portrait of an artist absolutely blew my mind. I mean, there's so much more in that book as well, but that, that particular scene stands out to me.
1: I, I love hearing stories about moments that texts interact with our lives in places you don't expect, and this is what I, I often wonder about the stereotypical wide reading period, you know, where we we usher the kids over to the library and we let them loose and we yeah. expect them to sit down yeah. <laughs> and you know hold a book and read that book and, and get something out of it. I, I have these vivid memories of English teachers of mine making us sit outside on a beautiful day. Uh, Under a tree, and we would just have a lesson outside, or encouraging us to have a discussion about something while we're on the bus, on the way to sport, allowing the literature to, you know, permeate, yeah, our lives in places that weren't necessarily the time or place for that literature. Yeah. Um, And I I love that. I think public transport is, is a really under appreciated place <laughs> for these That's Epiphanies. right, Yeah.
0: <laughs> Honestly, be, sitting on a bus, yeah. I I and I don't do that much anymore, obviously. But having nowhere to go. Yeah. Except into a book. Yeah. You're you're traveling uh, in two ways at once. Mm-hmm. You're you're on a vehicle going to a place, but you're mm-hmm. also exploring metaphorically, you know, you're exploring yourself through literature or whatever. Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more. So th- then I, I love this this second kind of topic here. What did you read as an adult? So what did you reread um, as an adult that you had read as a child previously? But then you read it again, and it took on a different meaning. Or, or how did how did it change? Or how did you change? And how did that impact the text? What's What's your example here?
1: I was introduced to The Handmaid's Tale. If you have listened to our previous recording, um, I talk about being introduced to dystopian fiction. And so I had come across The Handmaid's Tale in year 11. At the time, uh, I had just moved schools. So I was re kind of inventing myself with a new group of friends and settling into a totally new school environment. Uh, and I had just turned 16. So (laughs) there were a lot of things happening and I don't think I fully appreciated the real really deep questions about femininity and uh, oppression uh, and identity and reading it at the time, I, I sort of could understand why it was dystopian, but I didn't fully appreciate the the weight of that as a young woman and And I have to say it wasn't until watching Bruce Miller's latest TV adaptation yeah. of The Handmaid's Tale that I, like even even speaking about it sort of gives me chills on the back of my neck because the new adaptation has a suggestion about the events in society that led yeah. to, to this taking yeah. place. <sighs> and um, certainly I would say in the last five years of the West, like Western society's political Activity. Um, there have been individuals and events that have certainly paralleled bit, yeah. um, some of the events
0: for <laughs> in,
1: in that series. And as as a as an older woman who who knows a lot of other women in different stages of their lives who've gone through different experiences, um, like relationships or children or the positions that they have in their jobs, it was so unsettling for me in in a really interesting way and and rereading that book brought a lot of i feel awareness to my life yeah. and it also brought a lot of gratitude and and just an awareness that you know as a woman in australia in the 21st century i'm afforded a lot of a lot of rights that a lot of women in other parts of the world still don't have right. yeah it's so timely with young women like Malala coming through and uh, Michelle Obama. Um, yep. It's, it's just, it's, it's the right time in history to bring it back. Yeah. I Yeah. I'm, I'm thankful for it being brought to the kind of public consciousness again, because it's certainly a text that I, I'm grateful that young women in today's you know, society get to experience in a different form, and maybe that there would be women, who, like young women, who would not have read that novel had they not seen this this TV series, and maybe that this has this is the re, you know renewal that they were waiting for. So it's
0: very powerful.
1: Yeah, Handmaid's Tale is is definitely a that's
0: a that's a a really interesting way to look at literature in that the gravity of it may escape us as younger readers. Mm-hmm. And then you gain experience through your life mm-hmm. and it just provides a whole set of new filters through which you can um, read something.
1: Yeah. Is, is that your experience with your text? Yeah,
0: I, I'm, I have two, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick just one of these because I think it's, it's a bit more relevant. When I was young in my English class in high school, I had a great, great teacher. He didn't do much, but he, he just, he <laughs> loved, he loved literature, yeah. you know, and it was, for some reason, I, I feel like the English classes I had were always in the afternoon. I don't know, mm-hmm. they probably weren't, but I always, I always remember. <laughs> felt like it was afternoon. <laughs> I always remember the soft setting sun and the dust particles in the air and the, they sitting there and listening to him just read and talk about a text and I would just, I would just be so comfortable and safe. And I just loved that class. But uh, during that time, I discovered Emily Dickinson. Mm. So this is poetry. And again, (laughs) the theme continues here with the Gothic literature (laughs) for me. And um, I remember having to memorize this poem. So the Emily Dickinson poem was Because I Could Not Stop for Death.
1: Gone are the days of memorizing poetry. Yeah. Which yeah. is a bit of a shame, really.
0: I We had to do this a lot. Mm. Um, and so I memorized it, you know, rote learning. I I didn't really engage with the text as much because I felt that I was obsessed with this task of having to memorize it. And you had to stand up in class and then recite the poem. And so mm-hmm. it was a lot of nerves going on there. However, later on in life, facing death, like uh, uh, experiencing death close to me. I mean, even though I, d- I had experienced people dying when I was a kid, but when you get older mm. and you, you face it as an adult, especially with people close to you, it suddenly took on a new meaning for me. Yeah. Um, and I just found it so haunting and, but in a way, very, very comforting. Yeah. But so now it's become very precious to me <laughs> and I also, I, I know it yeah. <laughs> like I can recite most of it. But I'll just read the the first stanza. I think it just sets it all up, and it's and it's brilliant. Typical Emily Dickinson. What what a, what a incredible poet she was. Because I could not stop for Death, he kindly stopped for me. <laughs> the carriage held but just ourselves and immortality.
1: And so I, brilliant. I think
0: Emily Dickinson's poetry can be quite abstract, but that opening stanza is a movie scene like it is it's a an incredibly rich visual
1: yeah definitely and
0: quite a obvious sort of metaphor for death at the same time it's just something quite comforting about it, I, it
1: it's a really uh telling portrayal of death like that death will not wait, i suppose like it, there there's this kind of sinister arrogance about death yeah, that's like I don't care about your circumstances. I will do as I please, basically.
0: And there's also a very, very unsettling, because as as much as it's comforting to think of death in this way, it's also the idea of eternity. Mm-hmm. That brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, But for me... There's this challenge to the reader mm. to think about what eternity, like, is it that when you die, well, you're dead forever mm. <laughs> or you are somewhere forever. And I, I love that, that there's, there's a challenge in this poem for, yeah. for you just to consider death and consider the eternity of it, regardless of your beliefs.
1: Yeah. To face it. That's- it
0: yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was very different as I grew older that poem.
1: Life experiences just shapes that text, doesn't it? This is what we try to tell students about literature that, you know, it's it's, it's a lifelong relationship. Exactly. I mean, here we
0: are talking about our journey through life and the literature that shaped us, but also we, we can change the literature just Mm. by our journey as well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this was quite a deep what a roller and, coaster. Uh,
1: yeah, I feel like everyone knows us a lot better after
0: this series. <laughs> yeah.
1: Rainey and Jimmy, I, I, I've been there with you. I know what you're like I Yes.
0: I- <laughs> well, we want to hear from you as yes. well listeners, so we'd love you to get in touch with the show. Um, just contact us through educationperfect.com and yeah, let us know what texts have shaped you and you know what ones. Did you encounter in university? What ones have you reread just like we described today? So join the LinkedIn group, Teaching and Learning in the Digital Age. That's that's a really good place to get in touch with us and to interact with uh, the network of, of teachers that use EP, but also um, lots of English teachers on there as well. And I would also really love if you would join the uh, EP Global English Teachers Facebook group. Um, that is a fantastic place to network and chat with other English teachers and and share resources and talk about all, all the good stuff. Stay tuned as well for the next, we're going to keep this series rolling. Um, the next episode is called The Day After Tomorrow, <laughs> where we're going to talk <laughs> about recent books, recent texts in our lives that we've read and have impacted us. So um, yeah, thanks very much for listening. And it's, Goodbye from me. Bye.